Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy coming to you from the beautiful Emory and Henry College campus. We have a wonderful, interesting figure on today, Bob Denham, and he's from around these parts. He actually was a distinguished professor here on the campus of Emory and Henry College, as well as uh, Bob up at Roanoke College also. Yeah, I spent 15 years at Roanoke College. All right. Now, as we like to ask around these parts, and uh, where are you from? Well, I'm really a North Carolinian. I was born in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is uh, 20 miles or so from Charlotte in a farming community. My father was a Presbyterian minister in a big uh, rural country church. Uh, he went into the service, and after the war, we moved to White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, where we lived for five years. He really, I think, got us out of there because the school system wasn't that great. And we moved to Winston-Salem, which I think about as my hometown now because I finished elementary school there and high school. Well, and you, as we like to say, you know, I first heard your name because you were from out in Walltown, and your dad was uh, a minister there at Southminster Presbyterian right. Church. That's right. So you moved around quite a bit. Now, the Presbyterian ministers... They are selected by the congregation, unlike the Methodists. They tell you where it goes. Is that correct? Right. That is, you get a call from a search committee. and uh, Yeah, so he was 12 years at his first church and then five years in West Virginia, and then he came to Walltown or Southminster, and he, he died, alas, uh, in 1957 uh, after being up there only for five or six years. Well, now, you went to James A. Gray High School, didn't you? I did. I was a greyhound. Yes. Yes, uh, <laughs> folks out there, this is Poets and Writers, and this is Henry McCarthy. I'm having a wonderful uh, time today. This is old home week for me, so to speak, because uh, uh, we know Gray High School. We both are graduates of James A. Gray High School, and we're talking about what I really had him have uh, Bob on the show today because there is, uh, if you come on to Emory and Henry College campus and go in the library— there is an outstanding collection of poetry books and so on that Bob and his wife donated. Now, Bob, I want to get to that. Now, we're going to talk about some other things about Walltown and all these folks. But uh, talk about your donation to this library. Now, I've been in a lot of museums, and I, and I love to go to places and pick up the vibes. Now, you can do that in an Irish bar or a minor league baseball game. But one of the other things I want to put you to put on your list is uh, his poetry collection over here at the Emory and Henry College Library. Talk a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah, well, actually, the, uh, the idea for it goes back to my grad school days at the University of Chicago. And Harriet Monroe, who was the editor of Poetry Magazine, yeah. decided to give her collection to the University of Chicago, all these wonderful books from her years as editing Poetry Magazine, you know, which was the poetry magazine, poetry journal in the States. I mean, if you got in Poetry Magazine, you'd arrived. Well, she gave all these books to the University of Chicago, and instead of putting them in the stacks, they had a place on the second floor in the humanities section of the library where her complete collection was there. And I can't remember whether or not it circulated, but anyway, anybody could go in there and pull down the first edition of Eliot or Wallace Stevens or whoever and read it and put it back on the table, and then somebody would come along and shelve it. And I thought that was a terrific idea, and I would 
every day I take a break from my writing and I go to the Harriet Monroe collection and pull down William Carlos Williams or Robert Frost or whoever and have a little break and read the poems. And I thought, well, this would be a great idea. So I don't know when I really started collecting poetry books. I guess it was when I was in college. We can talk a little bit about that. But I'd amassed almost 3,000 books over the years, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to reproduce what Harriet Monroe did? Yes. And so that's how it all got started. So I approached Emory, and uh, they had a special room where they could put it near the beginning of the library, and I wanted it to circulate. There are some of the books that are special editions, letterpress editions, which are fairly valuable, and they're under glass, so you can check them out too, but you have to get a key to to take them out. But uh, anyway, it started out almost 2,900 books, and then since then I've added several hundred more, given them that, you know, things that have come across. Well, how on earth, you know, I went through, and, and books mean a lot to me. I didn't grow up in a family that had a lot of books. We We had an appreciation for reading. And I remember reading Huckleberry Finn in that old anthology. You remember in college they put yeah. Huckleberry Finn in. And that was, uh, I found that there on Lincoln Street in Johnson City, and my brother uh, had it, and so I read that. But we didn't have, you know, my mother had a third-grade education, but she always appreciated books. And my dad was, as he liked to say, from the streets of Boston. Now, the reason I share this is because your collection is at an academic institution, but I'm telling you, folks, if you make your way up the highway here and you come in there, you will enjoy picking those books up and reading from them and putting them back, or you can check them out. Yeah, yeah, you can check them out. They all circulate. Now, how did you accumulate? You were a college professor. How did you move all those books around? Well, in boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're heavy, too. Yeah, I think the first poetry book I ever bought was Archibald MacLeish's Collected Poems. And that was because he had come to Davidson College, I think my junior year, as a visiting poet. He'd been Undersecretary of State and Harvard Law Professor and all these things, but he was also an excellent poet and playwright. And he came... Um, I think maybe as the Reynolds lecturer and stayed on campus for three or four days and we followed him around like little puppy dogs and he would read and I marked in my book the poems that he read for two days. He came down to our fraternity house and read. I've got a recording of that reading down there and I just became fascinated by him and he read two poems that struck me Especially, I, I just remembered I can hear the cadence in my head now of his reading. You know, once you hear somebody read, it's hard to get that rhythm sure. out, of, out of your mind. And uh, he read a short little poem called, They Come No More, These Words, These Finches. Yes, yeah, so you and have that here's, poem with you. Here's the way it goes. Oh, when you're young and the words to your tongue like birds to St. Francis with darting, with dances, wait, you say, wait, there's still time, it's not late. And the next day you're old and the words all as cold as the birds in October sing over, sing over, sing late, late, and wait, you say, wait. 
<laughs> All right, Archibald McLeish. So I appreciate that much more now that I'm 78 years old than I did when I first heard. I guess I was 21 or 22. Well, did you read that when you gave the dedication to these books? I did, yeah. right, and I made a broadside of it and handed it out. There was another poem that McLeish read which struck me too, and I'll read it. It's Please. a short little thing. It's a Shakespearean sonnet, and it goes like this. Quite unexpectedly at Vassaro, the armless ambidextrin was lighting a match between his great and second toe, and Ralph the lion was engaged in biting the neck of Madame Sossman while the drum pointed and Teeny was about to cough in waltz time, swinging Jocko by the thumb. Quite unexpectedly, the top blew off. All right. And there... There you go. Let me pull get that second page up there. And there, there overhead, there, there hung over those thousands of white faces, those dazed eyes, there in the starless dark, the poise, the hover, there with vast wings across the canceled skies, there in the sudden blackness, the black pall of nothing, 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 nothing at all. He said that poem came from real experience. It was a, there was a circus in France, and the wind came up and blew the top off, and so he was kind of recreating the whole thing. But I don't know. Those two just stuck with me, short lyrics that McLeish read, and this would have been 1960. Well, you know, another I noticed, like when I was browsing your collection over there, and it's also uh, you and Rachel, it says uh, Robert and Rachel Denham, correct? Right, Collection. yeah. Yes, I want to be sure to get Rachel. She's, she's, she's an alum of Emory & Henry, so... Wow. Uh, I didn't uh, know well, that. She's also a very good artist. Yes, yeah, she came here to study art with Chevetel. She no she didn't get her undergraduate degree until she was until the children were in school. Well, now, did you all meet here in Winston-Salem? We met at Glade Valley Camp up in the mountains near Sparta when she was... 14, or as she says, yes. almost 15. Almost 15, Glade Valley <laughs> Presbyterian Camp. Yeah, you know about yes. that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I went there. That's where yeah. we met. Yes, you know, Jewel Spock, did you ever run into Jewel Spock? Well, he was, he came back anyway. He's been on my show. He's 95 now. And he was a war hero who became a um, lay minister for the Presbyterian Church. Oh, he did? I, I no, I don't there. know. Yes, him. and uh, talking about, I guess, fading away and death and so forth, one of the books I picked up uh, over there in your collection there in the library that you can check out, I didn't know, you, is Stevie Smith Collected Poems, the British poet. Right. Yeah, do you happen to recall where you got this book? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I mean, okay. I don't have a clue. Yeah. You know, many of these books yeah. I haven't read. I would go to well, a book sale yeah, or bookstore absolutely. and I'd pick up 10 books and well, this is Stevie Smith, and this says, I think, uh, in a shortened way, a little bit of what we've been talking about. I, I don't, at this stage of my life, I don't mind talking about death and dying for some reason. I never have, you know, from an existential standpoint. And having had heart surgery, it brings you a little closer to yeah. the reality. But Stevie says, some are born. Some are born to peace and joy, and some are born to sorrow but only for a day, as we shall not be here tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it, true. It goes real fast. Yeah, and she's, says, she's clever. Why do I? Oh, she was a secretary, you know, yeah. and one of these people who didn't get a lot of recognition at right. the time. Why do I think of death as a friend? It is because he is a scatterer. He scatters the human frame 
the nerviness and the great pain, throws it on the fresh, fresh air, and now it is nowhere. Only sweet death does this sweet death, kind death, of all the gods, you are the best. Yeah. Now, some people would see that as dark and depressing, but yeah. I don't think so. No, it's got that ending that saves it. It's kind of like a, a – and then I think of Dylan Thomas, you know, of course, and some of his poems. Yeah, Thomas, I, I saved out of my collection certain – Volumes that had been old friends for me and were all dog-eared and tattered, and Dylan Dylan Thomas was one of those. And the other four or five were Emily Dickinson, Wallace Stevens, Elliot, and Yeats, which I've had those books for years. I started—I was introduced to the reader's subscription, you know, the uh, kind of Mm -hmm. elite book of the month club Mm -hmm. type. Uh, when I was in college, and I got Wallace Stevens' collected poems through the reader's subscription. And that, with my McLeish, kind of started my penchant for collecting. Well, now, William Butler Yeats, you say Yeats or Yeats? Yeats. Yeats. Uh, I'm a big fan of some of his poetry. And, you know, the way we talked about this earlier, this show, this is Poets and Writers, WHC 90.7. I'm Henry McCarthy, and we've got Robert or Bob Denham on today, and just a really a well-known teacher and professor, and they know him certainly up in Roanoke as well. And we're going to talk about another one of the books I checked out of your collection was Melanie uh, Almeter's book, or you say Melanie pronounced I think Almeter, yeah. Yeah, you you, um, you worked with her. Yeah, uh, we were colleagues for six or eight years. Well, um, we're going to get to that. And so what we're talking about is Robert's collection over here on campus, and you walk right in the ri- library, and you go to your right there, and there's some newspapers over there on the right, and magazines, and then you see this very large collection of books. And having been a college professor myself, I know how easy it is to collect and my mother was always proud since we didn't have books in our house. She would come and she would sort of check when I first started collecting books to see how many I had. And she would brag about that. You know, <laughs> I thought that was all right. Yeah. Now, William Butler Yeats, what do you like about William Butler Yeats? Well, I think he's pretty much at the top of the whole modernist movement. I mean, the scope of his vision, the... Um, the power of the word comes through Yeats, I think, like it doesn't anybody else. I mean, Elliot, when you say power of the word, now t- talk a little, tell that to the truck driver on eighty one that's going to be listening to us. You know, I have listeners that pass me in Walmart. I'll tell you about that later. But the power of the word. Yeah, I mean, the kind of uh, magic that words can have on the psyche. The kind of uh, a lot of it comes from uh, the rhythm, certainly the rhythm of poetry, uh, the meters, those kind of things affect you, I think, at a deep level. So I've always believed that you could listen to somebody reading Antigone in Greek and you could figure out a lot of stuff about that play even though you didn't know Greek. You could tell you're in the presence of a very tragic kind of situation. But uh, Yeats had a knack for, and and his uh, his poetic vision is so wide. Yeah. You know, he started out in the 19th century yes. when you know, kind of late Romanticism was in vogue, and he went back to the old Celtic myths and all that. But then he continued to grow and to change, and to you know, he was still writing excellent poetry in 1939 when he died. 
the wild old wicked man he called himself. Well, I love that. I love one about school kids. He's visiting a school. Among school children. Exactly. And yeah. then the one, Lake Isle of Innisfree. Lake Isle of Innisfree, yeah. That's I will what... arise and go now and go to Innisfree, yeah. He said that poem came to him when he was walking down a Dublin street, and he looked into a window yeah. of a store, and he saw a little, I mean, a little waterfall or something made sure. a range there, and it reminded him of Innisfree. Well, and he wanted to get back home. He wanted to go back go and back build a there. cabin. Right. He, you know, many of us have left home and gone different places. You know, our L.A. and on and on, and New York City, and gone north from the south. You know, to work. But there's something about going back home and that primitive cabin and that idea that right. you can retreat and build your and grow cabin your beans and grow your beans. Yeah, <laughs> and that's William Butler Yeats. And folks, that's a, another side of him. He was also an Irish politician of quite renown. And I do agree with you. I'm I'm, I'm more you know I love uh, poetry. I love I see poems in country music. You know. Oh, yeah. And, and I see it in Bruce Springsteen's work, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. Charles Wright, who's my favorite American poet, uh, you know, his last book, or next to last book, the last poem in the book was a uh, country music song from the Carter family. And there's no Charles Wright. He just repeats the song. He was very much influenced by country music. I, I'm, Especially the Carter, the Carter foe. Well, was he? Did he live around Kingsport at one time? He lived in Kingsport. He grew up in Kingsport. His daddy worked for TVA, and they moved around some. But he moved to Kingsport, and they sent him off to prep school down in Carolina. I think they didn't want him running with the wrong crowd <laughs> in, in Kingsport. But uh, yeah, and they've recently erected a bronze plaque in front of the house where he lived. There's some professor at... In Kingsport? Or? Yeah, at East Tennessee State who got up the money and did this plaque for Charles Wright. Well, I didn't know that. Well, you know, we have listeners all around this area and down around Kingsport and over to Johnson City and back up this way, so I'm going to challenge you to go find that plaque on Charles Wright. Yeah, it's at his home. I forget the address, but uh, I don't know how to find it out. But uh, anyway, they have a plaque there saying this is where he lived. So he has one of, and I haven't seen this poem, but it's simply, do you remember what song? Was it Keep on the Sunny Side or one of the other ones? Um, That's okay. You know, if you go down to Carter Fold, you you know, the country music group. Yeah, well, he borrows from everybody, like all poets. They steal what they can steal and and make use of it. (laughs) So here's Charles Wright, who's a Tennessee boy who, turns to the Chinese poets of the of the <laughs> T- Tang Dynasty. And he's, you know, maybe he's got 20 books of Chinese poetry that he steals from all the time. And then he's got country music and, of course, artists of all kind he steals from. But that's one of the things that... Well, you, you, uh, you've written a lot of books. You're a distinguished professor. You know, I was a professor, but I was never distinguished. Uh, there, there's a difference, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. but uh, we uh, did, um, and I, I say this in a, in a very positive way. You're you're very accomplished. How and you have written about many writers, and you're also got your PhD at the University of Chicago, correct? Yeah. 
Well, now that that's definitely in academic circles. And then you were one of the first you I mean, you weren't one of the first chairs, but you were chair of the department here at Emory and Henry. I was for ten and, years. And yeah, founded your own printing press too. We <laughs> yeah. know about that. All right, Charles Wright. How'd you get interested, in Charles Wright? Among many others, you, you know, I don't know. Um, we had Charles Wright come and give a reading. We we had a little connection since he had gone to Davidson, was a graduate of Davidson, but he finished. He graduated the spring before I entered there in the summer, so I didn't know him. Uh, but, of course, he's anthologized in all the contemporary poetry anthologies, and uh, uh, I invited him to come to Emory and Henry and do yeah. a reading and to do it at Roanoke College and to give some lectures, and uh, then... I started teaching his book because I found his work to be difficult, and my students did, and so we started making notes on the poems to help us understand, and that's how this this reader's guide to Charles Wright got started, and then I did the late poetry first because I thought it was much better than his early poetry, and then I turned around and did the the early poetry, so I could cover all of his poems, and now he keeps publishing Charles books. Charles, so right, and he was, uh, he was Poet Laureate. Poet uh, Laureate has won every major yeah. honor there is, and uh, uh, it's an interesting story how he got started. Yeah. I was a math major in college, and, and uh, Charles was a history major, but he went into the Army from ROTC, and they sent him off to language school, and he got shipped over to... Italy, Verona, Italy, to, but to be a spy. And uh, one of the guys there in his groups uh, told him, said, if you want to learn about this area, get a book by a guy named Pound, Ezra Pound. It's called Selected Poetry. And take it up to Lake Garda and sit up there at Catullus's villa and read these poems. And Charles did, and it changed his life. He said, I want to do that. You know, this was a history major who spent most of his time at Davidson. He said, he's hanging out in the SAE house and drinking beer. <laughs> and a good old boy from Kingsport. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, he's at the very top of my list. of, And Absolutely. the collection in the library has all of his books, first editions, signed copies, except one, which uh, – book published in Canada that nobody's think there were three copies made or something but most of those are under lock and key because they're special editions well you have you have just an enormous collection over there and I pulled this off you have Melanie Allmeter who I met up at Roanoke one time and noticed her red boots and she was in a <laughs> meeting and and she said, are you a poet or something? I said, well I try to be and then I attended her workshop and I pulled this book on Dream Street off of, out Street. of your collection. Melanie, I hope you, and I'm going to send this to you. We download these. We're archived at the University of North Carolina's Chapel Hill. And this is Henry McCarthy. I'm having a great time talking with uh, Bob Denham today. And make sure I don't call you Bingham because I have another friend by the name of <laughs> Bob Bingham. If I do that, you correct me. Here's a poem by Melanie from her book. If you are bored to distraction, put one penny under your tongue, the whole day hum. I will outlive my worry. Watch out what you wish for. At dusk, when the penny has made your mouth taste of rust, when the wind has stilled, walk to the nearest train track, place the penny on the rail, wait, the earth will shake, a train will come and flatten it, carry it, useless coinage, to your grave. 
Isn't that a cute point? <laughs> yeah. If you're bored of distraction. If you're bored, it reminds yeah. me of uh, John Berryman. Do you know John Berryman's Henry poems? I, I know I know his work. Well, he's got all these poems that are called the yes. Henry, Henry poems. You have them in your collection over there, I know. Yeah, and uh, one of them, he talks about being bored. He says, I am heavy bored. <laughs> heavy bored. <laughs> Huffy I, Henry. Yeah. Huffy Henry. Huffy Henry, Henry, Henry yeah. poems. Well, now, I want to be sure and get this in because I'm going to play a Tower song at the end of this today. I think it's appropriate. So, Bob, closing comments. Richard Graves, excellent producer here, watches our clock. You know, we're about a 28-minute show by the time we get to, uh, But any closing comments about your collection over in the Emory & Henry Library? Well, no other than to say it's there and it's to be used. It's uh, it's not like a museum where you go in and just stare at it. It's to be used and books can be checked out. And Or if you want to take a study break, you can go over and sit in the easy chairs and pull down a book and read it, and then they can stick it back up. But it's uh, modern and contemporary. I don't go back and collect, you know, the 19th century people, but... Uh, and I think that's because of my experience in college. The first class I ever had from my mentor was a class in modern poetry, and that's when I was introduced to people like Stevens and Yeats and Eliot and uh, a number of the yeah. and all all the good people and different. You've got the beat poets over there too. Don't leave out Jack Kerouac because he's over there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'm into those. And I was over there today, and there was one student reading, a, lying there on the sofa, reading from your poetry book. And the other student was on their iPhone, but we won't talk about oh, that. Really? All right. <laughs> Listen, Robert Denham, Bob Denham, fine person, uh, excellent uh, professor, and excellent uh, out of uh, first new of him down in Walltown. I want to thank you for being on the show today. It's been great, Henry. Thanks yeah. for having yeah. me. This is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. And thank you for listening. Well, my friends are gone. And my hair is gray I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams, how lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. Tied me to this table right here in the town.
tower of song So you can stick your little pins in that voodoo doll I'm very sorry baby, doesn't look like me at all I'm standing by the window Where the light is strong How they don't let a woman kill you Not in the Tower of Song Dum, dum, dum. 